morning. Who's thankful for air conditioning and coffee in the lobby, comfortable seats, and not, not too bad pastor either? <laughs> my name is Zach Roberts. For those that don't know, uh, my wife and I, uh, Amy, have been attending here for a little over two years. Usually you'll see me in the sound booth. Uh, my wife serves in the nursery, toddler room, all that kind of thing. Um, but for today, if we could all stand, we're going to be reading from uh, Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 26. It says, I, and I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything has happened to me here has happened or has helped to spread the good news. For everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I am in chains because of Christ. And because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. It's true that some of you are it's true that some are preaching out of jealousy and rivalry, but others preach about Christ with pure motives. They preach because they love me, for they know I have been appointed to defend the good news. Those others do not have pure motives as they teach as or as they preach about Christ. They preach with selfish ambition, not sincerely, intending to make my chains more painful to me, but that doesn't matter. Whether their motives are false or genuine, the message about Christ is being preached either way, so I rejoice. And I will continue to rejoice. For I know that as you pray for me and the spirit of Jesus Christ helps me, this will lead to my deliverance. For I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed, but that I will continue to be bold for Christ as I have been in the past. And I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ, whether I live or die. For me, living means, for, for me, living, means living for Christ, and dying is even better. But if, I leave, but if I live, I can do more fruitful work for Christ. So I really don't know which is better. I'm torn between two desires. I long to go and be with Christ, which be, which be better for me, but for your sakes, it is better that I continue to live. Knowing this, I am convinced that I will remain alive so I can continue to help all of you grow and experience the joy of your faith. And when I come to see you again, you will have even more reason to take pride in Christ Jesus because of what he is doing through me. And we continue today in our series on the book of Philippians. Uh, we're going to be diving into this book and just going piece by piece all the way through it through the end of this summer. And so I hope you can be with us. It's a book all about being full of joy, joyful. And so we're, we're looking at that. And today's message is, I believe, an incredibly pertinent and important one for us because it's a challenge for us to be full of joy even in the midst of tension. But while we're over here, um, doing this. Our kids just right across the hallway are in the process of going through the Bible engagement project. And today they're in the book of Joshua and they're learning that God keeps his promises. How many of you know that God keeps his promises? That is so important for us to realize that he is faithful, that he is true. And so parents in the room, if you want, you can take a picture of the screen and it's got three different questions you can engage your kids with about what they learned today. Also, if you've got kids, this is our summer resource uh, it's eight different cards. What we're encouraging you to do is take this, just put it on your dinner table, and then each week grab one of these cards, and they're themed different. So like week one is on love, the second week's on identity, the third week's on kindness. It has a Bible verse for you to engage and read about that specific theme, and then it has questions for you to discuss as a family, and then gives you time to pray afterwards. So what we're essentially doing is hoping that this will help you create 16 different spiritual conversations in your home 
over the course of this summer as you and your family engage in becoming more and more spiritually formed to be like Christ. And so we've got that for you today, and you can pick it up at the kids' kiosk right outside these doors on the right-hand side. Let's go to the Father in prayer. And what I want to ask us all to do today is to specifically say, God, I want you to speak to me and give me a new perspective. I want you to speak and give me a new perspective. Because what God has in store for us today is so important because I promise you this, every person in this room, you're going to encounter or have encountered or are encountering or are coming out of encountering what we're talking about today. And so we're praying, God, we want you to speak and we want you to change our perspective. Let's do that right now. Father, we come before you. Lord, I pray for every person in this room that your word would be true and living and active and penetrating to the very core of who we are. That, Lord, we would hear from you today. We would hear you speak and that you would change, Lord, our perspective, which in turn will change the way we think, the way we react, the way we move, and even change, our, Lord, the, the future. And so, Lord, we pray right now that you would speak to us, let your presence rest in this room, that we'd be people who are full of joy in the Lord, even amidst the tension. We love you. In your precious name we pray, amen. I want to start this morning by talking about um, really perspectives, the power of perspective and, and how it shapes how we, we think. Like, for instance, take a look at this picture. If you're a kid and you're, you're small and you haven't understood full things yet, and they were to see this picture as the first picture they ever saw of the Eiffel Tower, their assumption would be the Eiffel Tower is really small. It's so small you can hold it in your hands. It's so small that you could just literally pick, like their, their concept would be that this, this, this structure is tiny in nature because of the perspective that has been given to them. Let, let me give you another example. I've used this in other sermons before, but I think it's a good one that gives us a, a, an idea of the power of perspective. So you're, you're driving down the road and you see uh, a car that's just kind of veered off to the side of the road. And as you approach it, because you can see something's going on, something's wrong, you see three to four kids in the back seat that are just screaming, crying at the top of their lungs, and there's no parents at all, nowhere to be seen. None in the front seat, they're gone. Like, on that initial look, based on the direction you're walking up in the car and you see it, you could make some quick judgments, couldn't you? You could sit there and go, oh my goodness, where are these parents? Why have they left these kids? Like, why would they do that? Like, these must be terrible people, like just leaving their kids and, and abandoning them in the middle of this car on a hot summer day and blah, blah. Like, you could, by where you're looking and the perspective you have, you could rush to some judgments about this scene, about what's happening, and it would even shape what you would say, shape how you would react shape what you're thinking, all based on your perspective. But now let's take it and let's spin this around for a full 360 and put you on the other side of the vehicle. You're approaching from the other direction, and as you approach, you see the three to four kids screaming in the back seat, crying, but as you pull up, you see a wife doing CPR on her husband on the ground. It changed everything, didn't it? Suddenly now, your judgments... Your thoughts 
what you're thinking, what you're determining, what you would say, how you would react or even act, it's completely different. It's shaped on the perspective of the exact same scene. One, parents must have abandoned them, don't even care about these kids. The other, heroic wife trying to save her husband while the kids are screaming because they're scared, right? Two completely different things based on the perspective that you walk into and that you are kind of looking at. Let let me give you another look at this. Let's go to the next slide. Tell me what you see. Raise your hand if you see a young woman, okay? Raise your hand if you see an old woman, right? For those of you who see the old woman, what is the necklace of the young woman is her mouth. And for those of you who only see the older woman, what is her jawline Uh, Sorry, what is her nose, like the little nostril, is actually the jawline of a younger lady who's looking off to her right. What you see in this picture is based on the perspective that you have. There's two different things that's kind of going on in there. And this is what I want us to, to wrestle with this morning is how you see the lens in which you see your situation, the filter, the perspective that you choose to take, it's going to make some determinations upon your life. It's going to, your perspective is going to affect your attitude, the choices you make, the values you live by, the next steps you're going to do. It's going to alter your mentality, your response, your reaction, and your tone. So let's go back to the, the car situation, right? If you walk up on that scene and your perspective is, like parents who have abandoned their kids, you're going to be angry. You're going to be frustrated. Like your sense of injustice is going to rise to the surface. You're going to be quick to overreact. If you see it from the other side, it's now completely changed. It's how can I help? I'm so sorry what's happening. How can I be of assistance to you? Two completely different attitudes, perspectives, plans, tones, all different based on that one thing. Because how you see, again, it's going to determine your attitude, your choices, your values, your next steps, your mentality, your reaction. And what we're going to wrestle with today is what do we do in the midst of tension? Because whether we realize it or not, tension can rob you or tension can bless you. Every single one of us, we've got tension in our lives from circumstances and things that we have to face. The question becomes is how do we find joy in the midst of it? But before we get there, let's look at the tragedy of whenever we have a broken perspective. The tragedy of of some broken perspective. These are true stories. The first one I gave you obviously was the beef jerky one. That was a tragedy, folks. I don't think you fully appreciate the pain of that moment that I only bought one back. (laughs) If you were there, you would know the deep regret that I had for days, weeks, and now years later. (laughs) But let's get to some real ones, okay? In 1873, a British government committee determined that the light bulb was an invention unworthy of their attention or of any scientific mind. Let me say that again. In 1873, a British government committee determined that the light bulb was an unworthy invention of any attention or any true scientific mind. Can you imagine having your name stamped on that report for all of history? Like I co-chaired, I think that this is a terrible idea, the light bulb. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's a problem. In 1876, 
Alexander Graham Bell, he wanted to commercialize the telephone. And so he offered the patent of the telephone to Western Union for $100,000. That'd be about 2.4 million today. Western Union did not buy the patent because they called the device idiotic. <laughs> I kid you not. In the year 2014, there are now more mobile telephones than there are people on the earth. In 1962, Decca Recording Company passed on signing this little-known band that they thought had no potential to them called the Beatles. And in 1975, Kodak had an engineer in their midst, and his name was Stephen Sason. He developed what would now be today considered digital photography. He took his device and his invention, and he showed it to the top people in Kodak and the company. Again, he worked for them. So this, they had like groundbreaking. They would have been the first ones to ever have this. But Kodak was so steeped in the film market and in developing it and in all the process that came with it that they saw it as a threat and they intentionally did everything they could to stop anybody else from even knowing about such a thing as digital photography. Years would pass, somebody else would really develop it and then the creation of it would almost completely put Kodak out of business to the point that they had to file bankruptcy. Or here's the final one. Ronald Wayne was the third partner in Apple. He's the one who actually drew up the roles of all three of the founding people. He even came up with the very first Apple logo. He was the most financially secure of the three individuals, though, and so he worried that as they were creating this company that the company debt would end up falling on him. And so, in a tragic moment, he sold his shares of Apple for $800. which would be about $2,800 in today's terms. If he had kept them, they would be worth over $201 billion. $201 billion. But he sold them, again, because he felt that tension. I want us to take a moment today and talk about tension. Let's talk about tension. I've got with me here... Um, It's like one of those, uh, how many of you have ever seen one of these before? If you've ever had like a knee replaced or had to do physical therapy, this is your enemy. <laughs> and yet it's the thing that gets you back to normal. It's painful and yet it brings health. It's often unwanted and yet it builds us up. And what it does is it creates tension. So you can use it to stretch your muscles. You can use it to build your muscles. It's actually in the place of where you pull it to its fullest of tension and you, you feel your muscles start to shake, that it's starting to grow something inside you. It's starting to do something. It's a perfect example of tension. It's like a rubber band. It's, it's, it's this thing, and it's a, it's a microcosm. It's a picture. It's an analogy sometimes of our lives. Because the truth is, is that there are certain things in your life that create tension in you that you really don't want or you don't really like, that can be painful, that can be stretching, that can be trying. And we're like, I want out of it. Like, I, I'll be, like for instance, 
no one here woke up this morning and like in their private prayer life was like, you know, God, I've been praying about peace lately. So I ask you, that, that person at work, send them my way. You know, the annoying one, the frustrating one, the one who never compliments and only criticizes. Just send them my way, Jesus. <laughs> I, I need a, a little bit of growth in my patience. And yet, how does our patience grow? In the midst of that tension. How often does our love sometimes grow? In the midst of that tension. How can you grow in understanding what true peace is? if you haven't also first encountered the chaos and the conflict. See, growth often happens in the place of the tension. The question becomes is what do we do in the midst of that tension? How are we being developed in the midst of that tension? When we're in the middle of it, two things are typically happening. We either are going, I need to get out of it. I need to stop this from happening. I need this to, to quit. I need it to cease. Or we have a different perspective. And we realize that we can use tension to actually pull something, can't we? It's what we use with ropes to pull things all the time. I mean, you think about it, like for, for centuries, for a long time, horses pulled carriages and they, they used the tension, the pressure, the pulling in the process of doing that. We, we, you can use that tension to pull you into the future. When we have to talk about tension in our lives, I'm talking about things that are situations and circumstances, pain, tests, trials, feelings and emotions that sometimes feel like absolute turmoil tension in our lives where it can create even a physical response of fear, stress, worry, anxiety, and even desperation. The Bible actually has a lot to talk about whenever it starts speaking about this. And it's not always maybe what we would think are like. Like for instance, the book of James says, count it all as pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing or the tension of your faith is developing perseverance. And that perseverance will make you mature, complete, and not lacking anything. So what James says to us is he goes, realize tension's coming whether you like it or not. But choose your perspective. Are you going to linger and go, this isn't fair, this shouldn't happen, this shouldn't be happening to me, this shouldn't be in my life? Or are you going to go, okay, I'm going to find it as joy and go, God, how can you grow me in the midst of this tension? What can you do in my life? But the problem is, is that when we're in the midst of the tension, we have a lot of feelings, don't we? They're not always good ones. We feel powerless. We feel contained, restrained, or confined. We feel desperate or we feel panicked. We kind of feel like that picture. We're just like, get me out of it. I don't like this. I don't want it. This is confusing. It doesn't make sense. And if we're careful, if we follow our feelings, we can get robbed of our future. I'm going to say that again. If we follow our feelings, we can get robbed of our future. The results is that we desperately desire to get out of it. And so what happens is, is when we get in that moment of tension, what we want to do is we want to do what? We want to take the scissors and just cut it in half. 
Because in doing so, it'll stop it from happening. But also in doing so, we missed out on the complete and total beautiful benefits of the strength that can be gained from constantly allowing the stretching to do its work. I said, you know, tension can rob us. I want you to think about how the wrong perspective and tension can actually rob us. Robbing, by definition, is someone taking a resource from something or someone else. It's the taking away of a resource from another person. And our perspective in the midst of the tension, please hear me, it can rob you of what you truly need. It can take it from your life, the beautiful benefit that God's trying to pull and do through that. The result of following how we feel rather than allowing God to do its total work is that we will move from isolation instead of community. We'll choose selfishness instead of selflessness. We'll choose caution rather than kingdom risk. We'll protect and get mine and focus on everything that I want versus living a life of generosity and caring about others. We'll focus on ourselves and our own self-protection at the expense of kindness and hospitality towards other people. And without realizing it, we just allowed the tension or really our perspective in the tension caused us to become the exact opposite of what we would ever want to be. It destroyed rather than built. The wrong perspective will rob us because it will make declarations that if you follow it, it will rob you so that you cannot live, move, or see others through the lens of the gospel. It will get you to focus only on yourself, only on your feelings, only on your circumstance at the expense of everything else. Let me give you an example of it again. Okay, so Kodak, let's take the the tension. Kodak, they're at the top of their game. No one was bigger than Kodak at all in the camera industry, period. They were top, they were king, they had it all. But then what happens is, is one of their engineers finds this breathtaking, brand new type of technology that could undermine everything they had built to that point. But guess what? It's in their own house. Like they are the frontline developers of it. But in the midst of that tension of something new, they got scared. And rather than going, okay, let's, let's let this drag us to the future and be on the cutting edge of it, they're like, no, 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 I don't like what this is doing. So they, they cut ties with it. And in doing so, they robbed their future of being the first people on the market for the digital camera. They could have rode that success way even further. And instead, they found themselves on the verge of bankruptcy where they could barely get by because in the midst of the tension, they had the wrong perspective. If they could have just seen and change their perspective, what a different outcome. A friend of mine, uh, Greg Forty, pastors in Columbus, Ohio, he says it this way, and I love this. He says, the only difference between adventure and chaos is the attitude and the perspective of the leader and those who are following the team. Catch that. The only difference between adventure and chaos is the attitude and perspective of the leader and the team. For one team, it's chaos, there's no hope. For another team, it's look at the opportunity in front of us. The difference between the two, perspective.
perspective in the midst of the tension. So let's look at Paul's perspective. He chooses joy. I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that's happened to me here has helped to spread the good news. All right, if you had no idea at all what the book of Philippians was about or who wrote it or what's going on in this, you'd read that line and you'd go, hmm, that sounds pretty good. Yeah. This guy, Paul, good things are happening in his life. Amazing things. And obviously it's helping spread the good news. Okay. So let's ask what's going on in Paul's life. He's in prison. Again. (laughs) He's writing from prison to a people that the last time he saw them, he was in their prison. (laughs) Paul is in prison writing to the Philippian church that the last time he was in Philippi preaching the good news, they beat him with rods while he was naked, threw him into jail, and then he literally worshiped his way out of prison. And yet here he is, and when he says to you, I want you to know, my brothers and sisters, that Everything that has happened to here has helped spread the good news. He's talking about even his imprisonment. Do you catch that perspective? He's like, most people in this situation, they'd be like, oh, there's no hope. Like, I'm stuck in prison. Like, where's God in the midst of this? And Paul's like, no, 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 no. I've got great joy because even in the midst of this, God's up to great things. He is at work even in the midst of my prison because I want you to know everything he's doing. Once you look at the tension of Paul's life, he's in prison. He's got no freedom. He can't go where he wants. He can't see who he wants. He can't be out there preaching, teaching, leading, planting churches. He can't do those different things. It'd be easy to in that situation be like, oh, okay, I guess, I guess God's just not at work anymore. No, you know what Paul's perspective was? Oftentimes they would have to chain people to him like a palace guard person. And he's like, you think I'm the captive? I got a captive audience. He's like, you're assigned to me for the next eight hours? Well, sir, you're going to hear about Jesus for eight hours straight. <laughs> He's like, I, I, it doesn't matter what you do to me. You want to throw me in prison? I'm going to tell people about Jesus. You want to set me free? I'm going to tell people about Jesus. You cannot rob me of my joy no matter what happens. He's in prison. It's not pleasant. There's no cable TV. He's been betrayed by others. It says this. It's true that some are preaching out of jealousy and rivalry because others preach about Christ with pure motives. They preach because they love me for they've been appointed to, to, I've been appointed to defend the good news. But those others, they don't have pure motives and they, as they preach about Jesus. They preach with selfish ambition, not sincerely, intending to make my chains more painful for me. In other words, he says, there's some people out there telling about Jesus because they love me and they want the news to spread. There's others that are out there preaching about Jesus because they know that it's going to stir up conflict and it's going to make it far worse for me here in prison. And Paul goes, and I don't care. He said, because both are teaching Jesus. Joy in the midst of the tension could not be robbed from Paul. Our natural response, though, would be this is unfair. Despair, doubting, questioning. God, where are you in the midst of this? Are you kidding me? I have to experience this right now? This isn't fair, God. And in doing so, we would rob ourselves of our future and the ability to see past the pain and the circumstance. 
What about Paul's perspective on his purpose? Notice what it says here. It says, for I fully expect and hope I will never be ashamed, but that I will continue to be bold for Christ as I have been in the past. And I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ whether I live or whether I die. Paul's like, my entire purpose is Jesus. It's the gospel. It's letting other people know about what he has done. My, my perspective isn't on my situation or my circumstances or even on my feelings. It's on my, it's on my purpose, and my purpose is to honor Christ. What about his perspective on his current experience? He says, for everyone here, including the whole house guard, knows that I'm in chains. How do they know that he's in chains because of Christ? Because Paul's told them. He's like, everyone in the palace guard, every one of the people trying to keep me prisoners, they know I'm here because of Jesus. They're going to hear the message whether they like it or not. My perspective, he's going, on my current experience is not going to be to whine and complain, but instead it's going to be to live a life of joy amidst what I'm going. He says, everything is helped. The gospel is spreading. Even those with animosity towards me, they are helping. But let's look at his view on mortality Look at Joy's perspective on mortality. And I trust that my life will bring, sorry, bring honor to Christ whether I live or die. For, me to, for to me, living means living for Christ and dying is even better. Other versions say it this way. To live is Christ, to die is gain. Our culture is so obsessed with searching for joy and happiness constantly in so many different places, in people and spaces and in things. And in doing so, it's like scooping up the sands on the seashore and trying to hold it permanently in your hands as they just fall through the cracks. Life will rob you of everything you try to find joy in if it's not Jesus. Doesn't matter what it is. It can be taken from you, your health, your riches, your finances, your family members, anything, you, you it, can be, it can be taken from you. But joy can never be stolen. That's what Paul says. He goes, for me to live as Christ and to die is even better. <laughs> He's like, if I'm alive, I'm going to live my life for the purpose of Jesus. But if I die, I get to be with Jesus. He goes, so for me, actually, death's even better. But for you, it's better that I'm alive. And so I actually think God's going to continue to rescue me because for your sake, not mine, it's better that I were still here to preach the good news. His perspective is like, okay, death itself cannot rob me of joy. Cannot be taken. See, joy has the power to shape a better future. Joy has the power to shape a better future. I want you to think just briefly with me about human relationships. If you are in a family or especially like if you're married, this is what you know is that really the tension has actually done some of the best things it could ever do in your life. There has been battles and things that me and my wife have had to go through that though I would never want to go and relive them, have pulled us closer together and stronger and into the future that God has had for us. Many a person will owe the greatness of their life to the tests and trials they've had to go through. And if you will have the correct perspective in the midst of that stretching, 
If you'll say instead of, God, get me out, instead go, God, show me how you're growing me, man, the things that can happen. Some of the greatest aspects of your friendships or your relationships, again, with family members, with your spouse, it's come because of the things you've had to go through in the midst of that tension. Like, take, for instance, this picture. It's of the potter and the clay, right? I don't know about you, but, like, if the pottery could talk, it would not be too happy with the potter. Is there anyone in this room who enjoys being pinched? Like, I don't know if you know this, but like, there's like a section of nerve endings right here. It's like the worst place in the world to be pinched. It's like it sends shock waves through your whole body. Like, it doesn't matter how tough you are, how strong you think you are, you get pinched there and you're just like, <laughs> instantaneous. Some of you, you're wincing even as I haven't even touched you. And you're wincing. And you're like, I know what that feels like. <laughs> don't even come near me, Pastor. I will not be a sermon illustration today. <laughs> Brandon, I need you to come here. I'm joking. <laughs> My point is this, in order to create the pottery, there is a pressure, there's a pinching, there's a force in regards to the potter as he wields the clay and it moves from being a essentially almost worthless piece of dirt to something that has value and usefulness and beauty to it. This is a pretty cool mug because it says best dad ever. <laughs> Given to me by my daughter. She loves to see me drink out of this mug. From dirt to usefulness. From almost valueless to valuable. From meaninglessness to purposefulness. From dirty to beauty. But it came about because of the tension came about because of the pressure as that potter slowly worked their way in that clay, pinching it on the wheel, crafting it, forming it, causing it to become what it is intended to be. Your future will often be crafted through the tension of this moment. And the perspective you have in this moment determines what kind of future you have. As life starts to pull at you, as the pain and the circumstances and the chaos surround you, what are you thinking? What perspective that you have? Are you trying to find a way out? Or are you asking God, what can he do through it in the midst of it? The issue, please hear me, it's not the tension, but our response. The issue is not the tension, it's our response. Paul, he's in the Philippian jail. He's just been wrongly accused, he's been beaten, it's not been a good day, but he chooses worship and he finds freedom. What if he didn't worship? What if he would have just stewed in anger in the midst of that, that prison? What if he would have just screamed and yelled at the Philippian jailer about how un how wrong this is and this should never have happened, he would never have had an opportunity to witness to that guy. Or what about if in the midst of him being in prison now, he's like, forget this. This is so frustrating. Every time I try to tell someone about Jesus, I just get persecuted for it. I'm done. You and I wouldn't be here reading the Philippian letter. 
He took that time and put it to good use. What about Jesus? Who for the joy set before him. In other words, the perspective of Jesus on the cross was joy. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross and scorned its shame. He didn't run from it. He didn't choose to get out of it. He chose joy and he went through it. And the outcomes is that you and I today have salvation and forgiveness and redemption because of what he's done. See, tension can rob you or it can bless you. Your perspective is the determining factor between the two. Tension can rob you or it can bless you and your perspective is the determining factor between the two. So let's get real here. Some of you right now, you're in the midst of a situation that you didn't ask for. You're in the midst of pain. You're in the midst of a season that it feels like, just like this band, it feels like your life is just being stretched thin. And you're left wondering, God, where are you in the midst of this? Been there before? David had. Whenever Christ on the cross says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He echoes a psalm of the psalmist who cries out with that same feeling. God, in the midst of this tension, in the midst of what's going on, in the midst of everything that I'm facing, it doesn't feel like you're near. It doesn't feel like, where are you in the midst of this? I hope you know this about your life, but the worst thing we could do in that moment is let our emotions lead us. Emotions are good and they're important. I mean, God put them in us, but they're terrible at leading. They need to be led, not followed. Because if we allow our emotions to lead us in the tension, I promise you this, every single thing in your life, when you start to feel it, it's, it's going to be, I'm going to follow my emotions. Forget that relationship, I'm done. Oh, I can't believe that God allowed that to happen in my life. He must not be a good father. He doesn't really love me. He must not even really exist. I'm done. Oh, are you kidding me? This is not even fair. This should never have happened. They should have already hired me or promoted me or given me what I needed. Forget this, I'm done. And every single step of those ways, what happens is, is we encounter the tension, we cut it and we abandon it rather than stepping into it and going, okay, God, build me through this, grow me in this, use me in the midst of it. Give me the perspective of joy in the midst of it because your enemy, listen to me, he wants to rob you of your joy. And when that tension comes, one of the things that he'll often also do is the out that he'll give you is contrary to everything the word of God says. Oh, you're stressed. You're worried. You're frustrated. You just need to be happy. So do, bloop, fill in the blank. Turn to this as a form of a God that will give you happiness. It could be anything. It could be overworking. And become a workaholic. Could be overeating. Could be go to the, the mall and max out my credit card and spend so that I can finally be happy. It could be sexual perversion. It could be greed. It could be lust. It could be stealing something from somebody else. 
What happens is in that tension is if I don't feel like I have enough and I'm not happy and I don't like this situation, then I'm going to look for an out, especially if it's an out that's contrary to the word of God, rather than go, maybe, just maybe, somehow, some way, God is going to stretch me to my desired future. Anybody in here ever done physical therapy? Just raise your hand real quick. What happens if you abandon the tension? <laughs> you don't heal. Seriously. There's been multiple times I've talked to physical therapists where they're like, I know for a fact many patients who will never fully heal to what they were called to be because they abandoned the tension. God has such things in store for our lives. And our perspective in the middle of it matters so much. Your perspective is the determining factor between whether or not there is beauty that can be created from it or whether or not it can become a tool in the hands of the enemy for the destruction of your life. You look at the things that Paul had to go through. He was shipwrecked, often in jail. He was stoned and left for dead beaten with rods. He had the 39 lashes multiple times. Like That's not the kind of resume that I want. <laughs> what work qualifications do you have? I can take a beating. <laughs> How can you prove it? Look at my back. <laughs> you know, like, that's Paul. But the thing is, is he goes, no. In every single one of those, what matters is the fact In every situation, joy could not be robbed from me. You beat me with rods, can't take my joy. You stone me, can't take my joy. Throw me in prison, I'll write a letter. <laughs> not like our culture is like, I'll write a letter to the manager. No, Paul's like, <laughs> Paul's like, oh, I'm going to write a letter to encourage someone. Maybe if we did a little bit more of that in our culture, we'd see a little bit, you know. <laughs> What's your perspective? Will you stand with me today? Here's what I would like to do. I want us to take a moment and pray. Um, I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. For some of you today, your perspective, your feelings, your emotions, and what you've gone through. It's made some declarations over your life. It's given you some directions. And it's said things like, you need to do everything you can to get out of this. You need to choose to pursue something else other than God that will make you happy. Because if you'll just get that, then suddenly you'll, you'll finally be happy and it'll help with the tension that you're in right now. And please hear me that if you follow those declarations and directions, it will rob you of joy. And it will rob you so that you cannot live your life through the lens of the gospel. You will see everything, every person, every situation. You will turn it into a tool to get what you want. And you will see everybody else as if they were robots or just tools for your liking. 
And most importantly, it also won't help. It's going to leave you just another time with more sand falling through your hands. But if you will take the perspective of joy that says, God, you and you alone are my greatest treasure. You are what I want more than anything else in this life. God, I long for you. I want to know you. I want to be defined by your presence. Listen, it, then when the tension of this life comes, you can find incredible beauty that would be birthed out of it. Here today, I know that there's some people in this room right now that you're facing some things that are painful. You're facing some things that don't seem fair. You're facing some things that are, that are brutal that you're having to go through. And maybe today, God is challenging you, saying you need a new perspective. So with no one looking around, every head bowed, every eye closed, I'm not going to make you come to the front or anything like that. I just want to be able to pray with you this week. If you're here today and you're in the midst of a season of just incredible tension and you can feel it, you can feel like that's going and you're, you're saying, God, I, I need you right now in the midst of that. If that's you, would you just lift your hand in the air? Thank you, thank you. Just, just like first service, hands going up all across the room. See, because the truth of this message is that every single person, not only have we faced it, we're either probably about to go into it, we're in it currently, or we're just coming out of it. That's what life's like. But who we are and what we do in the midst of that is so incredibly important because that's where God can increase our faith. That's where peace can be found. That's where strength and joy can be developed. That's where patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness, that they grow in us. That fruit of the Spirit often grows in the midst of the tension. And the question that we have to have today is this, is I'm gonna, am I going to rely on my efforts or am I going to rely on my God? Am I going to pursue my happiness or am I going to find all of my joy in him? So let me pray for you this morning. Father, we come before you. You are such a good God, such a good father. Lord, may we have a renewed perspective of kingdom things. That we would count it as pure joy when we face trials of many kinds because we know that the stretching, the tension, the testing of our faith develops perseverance. And that perseverance, as you grow us in the midst of the tension, it works its perfect work and we become mature, complete, and lack nothing. So Lord, today for those who raise their hands, I pray, God, would you maybe today give them a special experience of your comfort and your encouragement? Would you minister to their hearts this morning? God, would you speak life into their soul? Would there be a moment where they can feel and experience the presence of their King who says, I'm with you even now in the midst of the tension. I haven't abandoned you. I haven't forgotten you. Every word, every tear, every cry you have prayed, I have heard from heaven. And God, we ask, would you give us the right perspective to continue to step into the things you have called us to do? 
that Jesus, you and you alone would be our joy. We wouldn't look for a quick out with some other false, fake God that would we hope would somehow make us happy. Instead, God, we would rely on you and you alone for our joy. And that today and in this place, Jesus, our lives would reflect you in everything we do and say. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen, amen. To solidify that prayer and to solidify what God's been doing today, will you join me as we worship and we, we, we sing, God, you can have it all. Because I'm pursuing you as the source of my joy, you and you alone. Let's join together and worship.